Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we are today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're finding that, I want to just say thank you for those of you who were praying for Pastor Grant and myself. We were on a, 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 this past week, we traveled to Honduras and Belize to look at some mission organizations for a possibility of a future trip. And I think that we're going we're gonna to work great together in the future. So your prayers were answered. But we are back now and rejoicing in Jesus. And today we'll focus on 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's the key concept for today. Difficulty can be good for you. Difficulty can be good for you. Some of you say, well, that's good news because I'm certainly going through it right now. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, while you're finding that a Sunday school teacher was teaching his class of six-year-olds about how you go to heaven. He wanted to make sure that uh, the children understood it's not about just doing good deeds that gets you into heaven. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. But he, he gave them a quiz. And the first question was, listen, if I sold my house and my car and I gave the money to the poor, would I go to heaven? And the class said no. So we quizzed them again. If I came to church every day and cleaned the building for free, would I go to heaven? The class said no. By now he's thinking, good, these kids get it. It's not about good works. What about if I was real nice animal? Would that allow me to go to heaven? And, and once again, the class shouted back, No. When he said, well, what do I have to do to go to heaven? A little boy in the back raised his hand. He said, yes, you have to die. <laughs> of course, that's part of it, right? But what we're going to see today from Scripture is a situation where the Apostle Paul evidently either went to heaven or had a vision of heaven without dying. So let's remember where we are in the flow of the Apostle's thought in chapters 10 and 11, Paul has been defending his reputation and his ministry against accusations that come from critics. He sarcastically refers to these people as super apostles because they're elevating themselves. Really, it's kind of an ego trip for these leaders that have come to Corinth after Paul has left. And we only have one side of this discussion, obviously, as Paul is responding to the accusations, but they tend to be boasting about their credentials, and in chapter 12, they are boasting about their spiritual experiences. They're making the claim that their spiritual experiences, the things that they have encountered in their life spiritually, are making it make them uniquely qualified to lead the church. 
They must have sounded something like some of the religious leaders that claim to have a vision of Jesus, but instead of uh, calling that vision, that vision calling them to make sacrifice for Jesus, it turns out to launch a fundraising campaign. Or on an on a everyday level, like the person who starts the sentence with the words, God told me to tell you. What are you going to do with that? God told me to tell you. Or I was talking to God about you last night. Right? Oh, my. They'd be better off saying, it is my impression that I meant to say this to you. Taking a more humble posture. When you start the conversation, when the issue is your own supernatural experience, it tends to be all about you after a while. And Paul is hearing that these false teachers, these super apostles who have come into Corinth are claiming great spiritual experiences. And when we come to chapter 12, he decides to, in a sense, fight fire with fire. Let's, let's read, starting in verse 1. We're picking up the, the theme here. It's kind of a, in the middle of his, conver, his, his conversation or his writing, but he says this, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things and things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Paul is recounting in a, very, in a somewhat convoluted way the fact that he too has had spiritual experiences. In fact, he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was a vision I was having or an actual experience of going to heaven, in, in a sense, I don't know, I'm not sure, but this experience is something that I have gone through. And by the third heaven, he means the place where God uniquely dwells. You see, in the mindset of the age as they express the, the heavenlies, the Jews express the, the first heaven is the sky above us. The second heaven was where the stars are. And the third heaven in their thought is where God uniquely dwells. So Paul is saying, I was transported there. And I'm not exactly sure whether it was physical or spiritual or a vision, but 14 years ago, I had this experience. Now, what's striking is that he has kept this experience a secret for 14 years. He hasn't talked about that. It's nowhere mentioned in any of his other letters. It's not recorded in the book of Acts as an experience he talked to Luke about. 14 years, he's been silent about this fantastic experience. And he has had other visions that he has told us about. Paul came to Christ because he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus there, seeing the risen Christ. Paul experienced the vision of the man from Macedonia when he was still in Turkey, and the man in his vision called him, come over here and preach the gospel in Greece. And Corinth is one of the places that he encountered because of that vision. He was very willing to talk about those visions and those experiences, but for this one, for 14 years, he's remained silent. Why is that the case? 
I think it's the case because of the ethic that he expresses at the end of verse, verse 6. So that no one will think more of me than is warranted by, by what I do or say. Paul knows that he's being truthful as he tells about this event. But he also realizes that reports of visions, reports of revelations, spiritual experiences are poor standards by which to claim leadership and authority. Sometimes leaders will use that to prompt, promote themselves and they, because they tend to be more influential with the listener than they ought to be. And that's just what's happening in Corinth. These false teachers are promoting themselves, talking about their, you know, supernatural experiences, and the Christians there have fallen for it. They must be worthy to be followed simply because of that. Paul calls them shallow in their thinking. This is not a good claim for ministry credentialing. The proper source for ministry credential is a life lived for the glory of God. It's the teaching in line with the Word of God is the gifts for ministry and the calling of God. And Paul now opens up about this experience, you can sense almost reluctantly, almost in a sense where his, his back is against the wall, but because they are so impressed by these false teachers because of their experience, the Corinthians have almost driven him to do it. Let me tell you about my experience. But rather than this experience prompting me to prominence or pride, it's been very different. This experience has brought me to a place of humility. Let's read on in verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. What was given him as a result of this vision was something he calls a thorn in the flesh. It's an area of suffering, some sense of pain, something painful in his life to keep him from becoming prideful. The thorn in the flesh recalled this experience and reminded him of the dangers of pride. Nothing disqualifies us from spiritual usefulness quicker than a prideful heart. And God goes to great lengths to keep Paul humble because maybe he recognized that there was something in Paul's personality, and you can sense that through his writings, that would gravitate towards a feeling of superiority. Maybe he exhibited that as the, in those years when he was persecuting Christians as a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And so God is making sure that Paul's attitude never goes back there. And Paul, when Paul was in this vision, he saw something inexpressible. He heard something that cannot be captured in human thought or human tongue. And he's reminded that what's going on in heaven is about God and God alone. And I think it's the truth that for 14 years, he's kept this vision secret. It's something between him and God, this experience that he had. And for 14 years, he's carrying this thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, to be kept humble because he recognizes that if he were to use this experience, this situation, as a story that he told to gain 
uh, fame or to gain a sense of prominence. Every time he told the story, he'd probably add something about his own intellect, his own ego, his own personality, his own impressions. This is human nature when we tell a story over and over again. And pretty soon, the telling of this experience would be more about Paul than it is about God. God doesn't want that to happen. He wants Paul to be kept humble. And so the thorn in the flesh is given. Historians have argued for centuries about what the thorn in the flesh was. Paul doesn't tell us. Some speculations are that it was poor eyesight. Some speculations are it was epilepsy or malaria, some illness. If, Paul, if we needed to know, Paul would have told us for sure, but it was something physical. I think, that's, I think that's true, as he expresses it in the flesh. And the truth is that it hurt him. It was a humbling thing to some degree. It restricted his actions and his ministry. And at first, I think Paul felt that this thorn, this issue, was a hindrance to him glorifying the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He felt justified in asking God to remove this suffering, to remove this, this pain. And after praying three times, you get the impression of three seasons of prayer, asking God to, to take away this situation. The answer was, no, you must endure. You must carry that thorn. And here's a principle that I pull from this. God's answers to our prayers are always God's means towards God's ends in our lives. God answers our prayers in such a way that they're the means to His ends in our lives. He sees what's coming. He understood what might have happened if the thorn was, was taken away. He recognized that, and so the answer was no. And eventually, Paul accepted this thorn that was, in verse 7, it says, a messenger of Satan, he accepted it as a gift. He says, it was given to me. Even though he attributes it to Satan and Satan's actions in his life, a point of suffering, God turned that messenger of Satan around to be used for his glory and for Paul's benefit. God gives Satan sometimes permission to assault the saints. We see it in Job. We see it here in the Apostle Paul. And at first sight, this comes as an attack of Satan, and Satan was no doubt gleefully inflicting this suffering in the life of the Apostle Paul. But behind it all and above it all, God recognized that he could take that suffering and use it for his glory, turn it as a means of ministry and as a blessing and a benefit for Saul. Paul, I should say. The message of the thorn is this. There is nothing you have ever done or that has ever happened to you or that you have ever suffered that God cannot redeem for His glory. Every experience, every situation, every illness, every suffering, God can turn for His glory. Thorns come in everyone's life. They come in different means, in different forms, different kinds of sufferings and distress. Not all thorns are created equal. Some come because of the sinful actions of others around us, and we are caught up in the aftermath. Some come because of our own poor choices, and there are results from those choices. 
Some comes at, come as a direct initiative of Satan and the evil one, but in all of them, God can be working towards the good and his glory. The will of God will never take you to a place where the grace of God cannot meet you. And the Apostle Paul has discovered that as he has walked the journey of life with this thorn. In all things, God works for the good. That came from the pen of this man, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul wrote that verse as he is enduring a life with this thorn in the flesh. And when we get that, that sense of endurance, working and walking with Jesus, we find his strength is sufficient. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. While the false leaders were claiming their spiritual experiences as uh, the, that which would elevate them and make them the center of attention, Paul understands this experience has brought about a weakness in me. But when I am weak, that is where Christ's strength shines through me. You see, if we are facing every situation and we think we can handle it and we believe that we can do it, if we're operating on our own talents and our own, th our own smarts alone, and everything is contained by what we can do physically, we limit God. But when we are weak, God can shine through us and His strength is seen. His power is perfect. And so we're meant to ask the question as we look at the example of the Apostle Paul, what are we to do when thorns of suffering come into our own life? What, what are we, how are we to react? And number one is this, stand on the truth that God can work in every situation and do not be discouraged. God is working in those situations of suffering. I love, I love the, the, the book written by Stan Toller. I, I, I appreciate just the title of the book. The title of the book is this, God has never failed me, but he's scared me to death a few times. That's a great title. In that book, he tells a story about a man who went to a Little League baseball game. And he showed up late for the game, and he sat down on the bench behind the, 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 the dugout, the bench there of the team that was in the field. And as he sat down, he looked up at the scoreboard, and the score was 18 to nothing. And, and the man said to the little boy right, right kind of in front of him across the chain link fence, he said, he said is, is that the right score? And the boy said, yes, 18 to nothing. And the man said, well, are you discouraged? And the boy said, discouraged? Why should I be discouraged? We haven't come up to bat yet. <laughs> and that's our attitude as we go through difficulty. We haven't seen the end of this yet. God hasn't worked it out yet. There is more to come here. We don't have to fall to discouragement because when we are weak, that's when we are strong. Secondly, when thorns come, the thorn of suffering, Paul reminds us by his example, keep praying until, until you are told to stop. Three times Paul prayed, but eventually the answer was clear. The answer came, and the, and the implication is in these three times of praying, 
At initially, Paul doesn't get it. He's saying to the Lord, how can this be right? How is this helpful? This suffering is hindering me serving you. But God knew different and God knew better. And the answer was no. And the answer eventually was clear. And Paul obeyed. See, the big lesson for us is when we pray, the answer is not always going to be yes. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is wait. But when those answers come to our prayers, God always has something greater in mind for us beyond what we can conceive. Or He's protecting us from something that we don't understand. And when the answer is clear, obey. But keep praying until that time. There's a third point that from the, the example of Paul we can learn, and that is we are to own our thorns for the glory of God. In other words... Don't hide them. Paul says, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul's thorn was evidently obvious throughout the course of his life. Even though he didn't reveal the reason for it, he didn't reveal the source, it was something that he carried with him. We, on the other hand, too often continually pretend that nothing is a problem. Too often, we put up a barrier, something in front of the situations that we face, hoping that no one will ever know that there's turmoil in our life or there's issues that we're going through. And we cheat ourselves when we do that. We cheat ourselves of the ministry of prayer that the family of God would give. We cheat ourselves from the compassion that can be demonstrated to us from a loving, ministering body of believers. In reality, in our common journey, we are called to help each other, but we, we can't help each other if we don't know what the situation is. So own your thorns. Don't hide them away. It doesn't mean that every time we're together, it's a sloppy sob session, but it, it means there will be times when it's appropriate to be vulnerable. Life is not how it looks on Facebook, right? Your life is not how you look on Facebook. You're not always smiling. You're not always on vacation. You're not always having fun. There are difficulties. And in that admission, we give permission for people to help us. Own your thorns. Fourth, enlist your thorns to service for the king. Use them for his glory. God can redeem your pain. And he will use your pain to bless somebody else. I love the story that Phil Yancey tells about a woman who was getting married. She had planned the wedding ceremony. She had planned the, the, the reception, and, and it was to be an elaborate reception. She's an older woman. You know, she had gone through some things in her life, and, and now she was going to be, be married, and she took it on herself. It was going to be in the Hyatt Regency. The bill for the affair was going to come to tens of thousands of dollars, and everything was bought and paid for and ready to go. And the day before her wedding, her fiancé dumped her. She tried to cancel the event. She tried to get her money back, but things had already been bought and she couldn't, she couldn't get a refund. And now she had a whole bunch of people who weren't going to show up. And so she turned that reception into a party. And she herself had gone through turbulent times and she knew that there was space at the party, so she went down to the homeless shelter in her town. And she invited all the residents of that homeless shelter and the staff of that homeless shelter to come to the party and be a part of the banquet. You see, there had been a point where she herself was homeless, and she benefited from that, from that homeless shelter. And so they came. 
And he says, they served boneless chicken in honor of her spineless groom. And she used, she used that brokenness to bless others. That's what you do with thorns. And it can happen because God's grace is sufficient. You see, suffering in and of itself has no value. It's only for the sake of Christ. When we recognize that Christ is working in this and able to continue to work, when we recognize it's not about us, but it's about God and what He is doing through us. And the Apostle Paul gets to that in verse 11. He says, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Paul says, at the end of the day, it's not about our reputation. It's not about our image. It's not about our ego. It's not about us telling the things that we have gone through to impress one another. It's about making Jesus famous, not us. It's about Him. And I tell you this experience only to show you that God wants humble servants to lift Him up. And so as we step away from the passage, I think Paul would have us ask some questions. The question is, is what people think of me too important to me? Am I conscious of my image and reputation too much? Am I falling into the trap of keeping score with other people, even among spiritual things? Do I truly have the heart of a servant? Is pride part of my life? Paul would say, Lord, May it never be. Let's pray together. God, some of us here are going through thorny situations. Or we're carrying with us a point of suffering. And Lord, we would pray with the Apostle Paul that in our weakness, you show yourself strong. We pray that you would use these times to bind us together as a family of compassionate believers. And through it, that the world might know that you are able and you are greater than the problems we face. Forgive us of the times that we tend to be in competition. Forgive us for pride. Keep us humble. And humbly, Lord, allow us to have you shine through us for the sake of ourselves and for those we love. We love you, Lord. And we pray that you would do this work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're going to leave this place, but maybe you're going through a time where you say, that's a thorn. This is an issue, and I need prayer for it. We have prayer counselors that are going to be next to the organ by the prayer table. In a moment, we're going to go our separate ways, but you slip forward, and they'll meet you there, and they'll pray. But first, let's stand together and we'll have a closing prayer. And before we do that, we'll sing a song, okay? Let's, we have a minute, okay. Let's sing the song, Praise the Name of Jesus. So, you know that chorus? It's an older one, but I think you remember it. It goes like this. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress, He's my deliverer, in Him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus.
Lord Jesus, we do praise your name. Thank you that you are the fortress of strength in our life and our refuge that we run to. Protect us in the week ahead and enable us, we pray, to demonstrate what it means to truly be a follower of Christ. Help us to represent you well, for we ask it in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.